The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. All right, Matthew chapter 24. I mean, we're diving in for those who haven't been with us, but we're in the middle of uh, the disciples. This is the end, the last week of Jesus' life, the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And the disciples have said, so when is your kingdom coming? And what will be the sign of you actually coming to establish your kingdom? So we're kind of right in the middle of that whole story. And the first uh, life lesson that we have here is for the elect's sake, those days. I'm talking about the last days. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is that I believe we are living in the last days that Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago and told his disciples this is what those days will look like, and that I believe we're living in them, and that because of the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So beginning in verse 21, he said, for then there will be great tribulation. So this is what is coming For the world, great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world. Until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus said there's never been a time that the last days will be like. It will be in its own category. It's reserved for the very end of days, the great tribulation. And, verse 22, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So it's going to get so uh, awful and so horrific that unless supernaturally the Lord shortened those days, and the reason he shortens them is that God does not, he's not willing that all should perish. He doesn't want mankind, I mean, left to ourselves, in other words. Mankind would destroy every living person on the planet, but God's going to intervene because he's a good God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but now, yeah, we're so smart, modern man, 2020. What have we done with all of that technology and that understanding and unraveling of the DNA code, and we're getting into the mysteries of life, and on a nuclear, you know, molecular, cellular level, Uh, We have the capacity now, through our inventions of atomic power and nuclear power, we can destroy every one of the seven billion people on planet Earth. That's what we have come to. And not only one, you know, this was a little while ago, I heard that today there are enough nuclear weapons, not only can we kill all seven billion people, we could do it 26 times over. So we are living in an unprecedented hour and time in human history. And, you know, the the weapons uh, that have been made will be used. And Jesus, obviously, he not only could foresee the events that were happening 2,000 years ago, he saw all the way to the very end. And he wanted to be able to give understanding to his disciples. So what I want to share with you just briefly here and how those, what's coming in the near future. And I have been on my face, praying, seeking the Lord, waiting on the Lord, uh, saying, Father, what are you saying? What are you doing? What's going on right now? And this is what the Lord has put into my heart. And that I want to, you know, when Jesus shared with these guys, this is what it's going to look like. See, I have told you. 
What he was saying is, look, I'm going to be direct with you. I'm not going to mess around. I'm not going to be tricky. I'm going to just be very blunt and very direct. So what I want to do this morning is I'm sharing with you as your pastor. This is what I see. And I want to be very plain. I want to be very blunt. And I want to be very direct about what I see. There is coming, and this is, the, you know, the Bible prophets have described it, and we've covered it a little bit uh, in the few, last few weeks. There is coming, I believe, in the near future, an unprecedented, historical peace deal in the, in the Middle East between Israel and her neighbors that will rock the world. It will shake the world. It will be something that people said, you know, if the windows of heaven could open, could such a thing be? For many years, there were those Bible teachers and those who read the prophets who said for years and generations, the Bible said that there would be a rebirth of the nation of Israel. And there was no sign or no indication that anything like that would ever happen or could ever happen until it happened. And the Bible actually said there would be two times that the nation of Israel and the Jewish people would be scattered from their land. So you go back to the days of King uh, David and then his son Solomon, and they built the temple. God, you know, told them, follow me, listen to me, don't go after the idols and follow their practices and their ways and their immorality and godlessness and their violence. And if you do, I will kick you out. But Israel didn't listen. And so... God allowed the Babylonians to come, and they lost their nation, and they lost the city of Jerusalem, and the temple was destroyed that had been built by Solomon, and God sent them where the prophet said they would go. They went to Babylon, and he even told them, how long you'll be there? You'll be there 70 years, and after 70 years, you'll come home, and you'll rebuild the temple. It won't be as big or beautiful as Solomon's temple, but you will rebuild it, and do not despise it, even though it doesn't look as grand as Solomon's, because a greater glory is coming to the temple you rebuilt. So the whole first, you know, scattering, and then the first regathering, and the rebuilding of the temple was all in preparation for the first coming of Jesus. The first coming of the Messiah. When Jesus came, that was that greater glory that that temple saw. But then Jesus had predicted also Israel, they rejected the Messiah, he told them, you know, as he went down the Mount of Olives, halfway down, he's on the donkey, he's weeping, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you had listened to me, I would have put my arms around you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, and I would have protected you, but you did not know the hour of your peace, and therefore you will lose your nation, you will lose your temple, not one stone shall be left on top of another. And for a second time, the Roman army came in. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when they came, they not only, you know, destroyed Jerusalem, they not only tore down the temple stone by stone, just as Jesus had predicted, but they killed over a million Jewish people. Over a million Jews uh, were killed, many of them by crosses. I don't know if you knew that they crucified people even during that time. And then the Jews were scattered, not only just to one place like Babylon, but to the four corners of the earth. But Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, says a second time has been determined in the latter years and in the latter days, God will regather the Jewish people. They will come back a second time to their original homeland. But not just so that there's an Israel. Not just so in 1967, they had a six-day war, they recaptured Jerusalem. 
But all of that was so that there would be a peace deal between Israel and her neighbors. And I believe that that is imminent. I believe that that is coming in the near future. It will be historic. And then after that, the peace deal is the prelude for them then to say, now we want to build a temple. Or, and I don't know if it'll be a stone temple. I don't know if it'll be a tabernacle. I don't know if it'll just be an altar. But there will be something that will be allowed to be built on the Temple Mount, and they will start doing animal sacrifices on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem again. You're saying, are you really saying in 2020, in this modern age, that there would be animal sacrifices? I am saying yes. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. So this is what is coming. And what I want to also share with you is uh, some insight. I want you to listen very, very carefully to what I'm about to say and to describe. I want to plant this into your minds and into your hearts. When we look at the, you know, how could such a thing be with Israel and, her, you know, the Muslims and so forth? So let's look at the Muslim world. There are approximately 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. The majority of those Muslims are called Sunni Muslims. 85% of the Muslims in the world are Sunni Muslims. Everybody say Sunni. That's the vast majority of the Muslim world. They are Sunni. The head of, you know, that Sunni side of the 85% of the 1.6 billion Muslims is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, why? Because they have Mecca and they have Medina. Those are the two most holy places in all of Islam. And I want you to know that Saudi Arabia and the Sunni Muslims uh, and the Arabs who are related to the Jewish people going way, 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 way back, there is some blood that is shared. They are willing to compromise with Israel. The Sunni Muslims have said, you know, we could live with an Israel. We could compromise a little bit. We can live and let live. And even the Sunni Muslims, I believe, out of Saudi Arabia would say, we wouldn't even be opposed if the Jewish people had a little place to pray or worship or sacrifice or whatever they want to do on the Temple Mount. We would be okay with that. But on the other side of the Muslim world, so we've talked about Saudi Arabia and the Sunnis, and their willingness to compromise with the Jewish people, with Israel, and even on a peace deal and the Temple Mount. But there is the smaller side of Islam. It's only about 15% of the Muslims that are in the world. They are called Shiites or Shia Islam. Everybody say Shia. Shia. And the, very, the, the, the one nation that typifies Shia, they have a whole different theology than the Sunni Muslims. And the, the Shi'i uh, headquarters is a country called Iran. Iran says, oh, no, we don't agree with Saudi Arabia. We don't agree with the Sunnis. No compromise with the Jews. No compromise with Israel. No Israel. No compromise on the Temple Mount. We say no to the existence of Israel, and we want them to be out, driven into the sea, no Israel. And then they say that Israel is the little Satan and that America is the great Satan. And it is the little 15% of the Shiite Muslims 
in Iran, they're wanting to get nuclear weapons. Yes, you know that story, right? So when they, you know, would get nuclear weapons, who do you think is their number one target? Who's in the crosshairs for Iran? Number, numero uno. Huh? Israel. How many think it's Israel? How many think it would be America? What, what would you say if I told you you're both wrong? <laughs> what is the number one crosshairs with their either use of the n nuclear power or their threat of the use of it? Saudi Arabia. Why? Because how? Because they believe that we must, Islam, take over the whole world. How can we take over the whole world if our own people are divided? Therefore, their number one target is Saudi Arabia. Once we take Saudi Arabia, then we take out the little Satan, Israel, then we take out the great Satan, America, then the whole world becomes Islam. Now, that's the background of what is happening right now. But I believe that what is going to take the day in the very near future is that God is opening this door because the prophet said that it would happen. There is coming a peace deal. That peace deal will be made with the Sunni Muslims. It will be made with Saudi Arabia. They will be willing to compromise because they are related to the Jewish people way, way back in history. And they can live with them. But there's another reason driving the Sunni Muslims and Saudi Arabia to want to be, why, why would Sunnis want to compromise with Israel and allow them to live and to exist and so forth? Because they know that Shia, even though they only have 15%, is going to get a nuclear weapon. Saudi Arabia is not going to be getting a nuclear weapon. They know that they're number one in the crosshairs of the Shia Islam. Therefore, they need a partner who lives in their neighborhood who has nuclear weapons, who also is in the crosshairs of Iran. Who would that be? Israel. So do you see how God is using circumstances on a global level to drive the Sunnis and Saudi Arabia and Israel in compromise to make a peace deal, to come together, to allow there be sacrifices and, and to move forward? But I want you to know this, and I know that we've just had a big deal with Iran and with a general that we took out and everybody freaking out in World War III and fear and anxiety. I want to say this to you from the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible, and there is no prophets in the Bible that said that one day there will be a war between America and Iran. I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. It could what I am telling you is there is no prophecy in the Bible that says there will be a war between Iran and America. But the Bible does predict a war with Iran and another country. Who is that? That's Israel. And that's in Ezekiel chapter 38. So we, we don't have time this morning to go into Ezekiel chapter 38, but it's called the War of Gog and Magog. You can read about it and look into it and see the countries that are aligned and why they're aligned, and it will make sense to you that they're coming together. Now here's, so that's on the surface, the political of what's going on, and I believe it's coming. Now what I want to share with you is, I see this, I feel, I see, I hear from the Spirit, an acceleration of all these things. And in fact, we're living in a time where, you know, we're not just things, you know, creeping along. There is a, an acceleration of what is happening right now. It is being driven faster and faster and faster. Can you see it and can you feel it? 
What I want you to say to you is that you need to be praying and to be awake and to understand these things. And because, here's what's, you know, so that's on the political level. Let me tell you on another level what's going on in Iran right now. By the way, that there are multitudes who have went into the streets who are protesting their government because they say, you guys are leading us astray. We don't like the way you're leading our country. There's a big division, the people of Iran and the leadership of Iran. Does that make sense? We need to pray for the Persian people. They're a beautiful people and a gifted people, a talented people. There is a prophecy by the prophet Jeremiah, 2,500-year-old prophecy, where God says, I will put my throne in Elam. He's going to have a throne in Elam. Elam is an ancient name for Persia. God wants to put his throne among the Iranian people. It's going to be a road that stretches from Iran all the way through Egypt and through Israel and Jordan and all the rest. A mighty, mighty highway of the people of the Lord. But I want you to also know this. There is a revival. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Probably the number one place of revival where more people are coming faster to the Lord than any other place on planet Earth is in Iran right now. It's door to door. It's house to house. It's people sharing their faith. And in fact, the Christians who are in Iran are saying, in a way, the greatest evangelist for the gospel of Jesus Christ in Iran is the Ayatollah Khomeini, because what he did is he showed us the true face of Elam, and we say, uh-uh, we don't want that. We want Jesus of Nazareth, and they're following after him with all their hearts. Amen? It's a mighty, mighty thing that is going on. So I want to say this to you. I want to speak to my generation, the baby boom generation. We're a very unique generation. How many baby boomers we got? So from 64, or no, from 46 to 64, you were born in there. Raise your hands. Where are you rascals at? See? All right, listen to me. God is not done with you. Us. We have a role to play right here, right now. And, and we, we can't just be looking at, you know, man, I can't wait to just retire and get out there, sit on the front porch. No. <laughs> you cannot do that. You are to be active. You are to be engaged. You are to be involved. I want to speak to the millennials that are here, not only here, but that are listening on radio, those who are watching this, wherever you guys are, millennials, if you're hearing this message and you get it and you hear it and you know it's of the Lord, you are chosen of God. You are highly favored to know what's going on because much of your generation is asleep. They're not awake. And God is calling you to be the one to wake them up. They need leaders. They need somebody to know what's going on because the enemy is using distractions on the millennials to get them on things that are not really going to bring peace and that are not going to satisfy their hearts. So millennials who hear and, and, and understand this, start raising your voice and speaking, and people will listen because they don't know how to, what to make of all of this. Baby boomers, start exercising your God-given authority and praying for your family and using the anointing that God has given to you. Amen? Amen. All right, Matthew 24, verse 22. Let's read it. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. 
This is the first use of the term elect in the entire New Testament. Jesus said, I'm going to shorten those days. If I just let man do what he does, they'd kill everybody. But I'm going to intervene. I'm going to shorten them. Why? For the elect's sake. And it's a very special phrase. Those who are elect are those who have been divinely chosen by him, and they have been called out as his own people. They are his very own children. And I want to say this. When God chooses a people for himself, he will literally restructure the entire universe, if necessary, to protect his chosen ones and to keep his promises to them. You, as a child of God, as the elect of God, have nothing to be afraid of, period. Your God is with you, for you, and will bless you all the way until you see him face to face. Amen? So now, let's go on, verses 23 through 27. Jewish believers are instructed by Jesus to flee to the mountains of Jordan. Now, I'm actually going to go back a little bit further. I'm going to read in verse 17. Uh, or no, actually verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea... So this, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is the guy, the Antichrist, that stops the sacrifices that are, you know, just allowed to be done, and he stops them. That's the abomination. He said, run, flee to the mountains. And I'm saying that those mountains are the mountains of Jordan. Verse 17, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field... Don't go back and get your clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are uh, nursing babies in those days. Pray your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. He is geographically speaking about those believers who are living in Israel, in particular in Jerusalem, when this thing happens at the temple and the ceasing of the sacrifice. He said, run, just start running, go to the mountains. And for those in Israel, it would be Jordan, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. I want to say that the Bible does say that there will be war between Iran and, and Israel. There are other countries that are mentioned by Ezekiel 38, but I also want to say this. It's obvious and clear from the prophecies of Ezekiel that when that war happens, it will be nuclear. And we are, so we need to, and when that nuclear war happens, even in the book of Revelation, it says that it describes a war that comes that literally the proportion is several billion people die in less than one hour. That happens because of nuclear war. And when that happens, of course, the world will never be the same. So here's what's interesting. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was describing how uh, Israel is going to come under the judgment of God and the temple is going to be destroyed, he said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, meaning the Romans, he told the disciples then, he said, run, flee to the mountains. We meant Jordan, and you will be spared. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you can look it up and you can search it. There were Jews 2,000 years ago, and when the Roman army just started coming to encamp around Israel on their way to killing a million Jews, destroying their city, burning their temple, tearing it down, 
Jewish believers who had heard Jesus teach, when you see the armies come, flee and get out of there, they did. And guess where they went? They went to the mountains of Jordan. This is historical fact. It already happened in history. And the Jewish believers who went there and listened to Jesus, their lives and their families and their children were spared. And then when it was all over, they were able to move on and continue on in their faith. What I want you to understand is that Jesus is saying there are some things that are going to happen right now within 40 years. So he was died, let's say, in 32 AD. By 70 AD, you know, several decades later, that's when it happened. And that happened historically. But Jesus went on to talk about the last days. And what I'm saying is it's going to happen again. History is going to repeat itself again. The Antichrist will be right there, and it will be hottest and heaviest on those Jewish believers who are there in Jerusalem. That's why all these things about the Sabbath and winter and flee to the mountains, he's saying to them, get out, and they will go to Jordan, and they will be spared, and it will happen again. So I want you to read with me John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. Let's read it. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Okay, so listen. We are living in days now, not tomorrow. Now, right here, right now. You need and I need to learn how to hear the voice of Jesus. For every decision that we make, for every, you know, direction that we go in, we need to know and, hear, and it will become increasingly more important that you have a living relationship with God and you hear the voice of Jesus and then you're able to respond to the things he reveals and shows you so that when necessary, you can be spared, so you can be safe. So what is the word that Lord gave us for the year? Prepare. Preparing is learning to hear his voice, learning now to follow his voice and, and to uh, follow what he says to you. I also want to say this. This is not something I can just give you. I can't just tell you about it. I can't just give you a pamphlet on it. You can't just even read a book and try to figure it out or whatever. What, this, what I'm sharing with you has to come by revelation. When Jesus would go and sometimes he'd heal somebody and and then, you know, they're like, wow, you know. I mean, when you get touched by the Lord, just like we're talking about in The, the Chosen, uh, your life is changed. When you experience Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the supernatural, you get delivered from demons or you get born again or you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And you want to run tell everybody, but everybody looks at you like, what are you talking about? Because you can't just tell them. And sometimes Jesus says, now, don't tell anybody. And you're like, well, why not? They should go tell, you know. He's not saying that we can't go and share our faith, but what he is saying is the only way they're going to ever really get it is they have to have their own personal experience, their own personal divine revelation. So what I'm saying to you can only be understood by those who have the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit will come to you. And I will, I will say this, in the name of Jesus, this decade is going to be a decade it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be exciting. It's going to blow your little fuzzy-headed minds. And there, look, trust me, there are, there are people you know right now who are clueless. 
They're asleep. They're following distractions. Uh, they, they don't get it at all. But they're going to have an encounter. They're going to have an experience. They're going to have a divine revelation. And when the Lord comes to them, it'll be like they were asleep and now they're awake. And they're going, to be, they're going to be lit up by the living God. Our God is an awesome God. So I want to show you Jordan. Uh, we've been there several times. It's barren. It's nothing. Uh, there's one picture of it. Here's another one. It's in the middle of it's nothing, nowhere. It's been like that for 2,000 years. It's that way today. And, you know, it's, it's incredible. Um, yet God has preserved this area, in particular southern Jordan, as a, as a place where God will sovereignly protect the believers who run there. In verse 27, when Jesus said, For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. It was a Jewish figure of speech with the idea when judgment is ripe, it will surely come. So I want to make this connection. The world right now, everything that's going on, if you know Jesus Christ and you know the Word of God and you know the holiness of God, our world is getting ripe. The whole world is getting ripe for judgment. God doesn't want to bring that judgment. But there is a point, you know, God is slow to anger and he's slow to wrath. He's not willing that any should perish. And what he really wants is things begin to multiply and explode and so forth. He wants to call out of it a tremendous harvest, which he will do from every nation, language, kindred, and tribe. The greatest amount of people that will be saved in the history of humanity is literally at our doorstep right now because God's going to use it for that very thing. But know this, at the same time, there's another part of the world that is ripening before our very eyes for the judgments that are talked about in the end times. All right, let's look at verses 28 through 31, and we'll close here. The sign of the Son of Man in heaven will be universally visible and sudden. So in verse uh, 29, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So this is the disciples' second question. What is the sign of your coming? And Jesus says it will be public and it will be dramatic. In fact, the prophet Daniel describes it in this way. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Let's read it. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. Woo! When Jesus returns, 
It won't be like, oh, he's hiding over here. So I think Jesus is telling the disciples, the believers that are Jewish, and they run to Petra, they're going to be false messiahs, and they're going, oh, hey, Jesus is in a cave over there. Run over there. And they're going to be people that, who are running for their lives, fleeing. They've got their children trying to carry their stuff. And there will be charlatans that will try to take advantage of people. So Jesus says, I'm not going to be in some cave over here, something over here. He goes, no, it's going to be with blinding light, the Shekinah glory. It will be brighter than the sun, than the moon, and in the stars. And in fact, at the very end, something apparently supernatural happens. You cannot see the light of the sun. You cannot see any light from the moon. You won't be able to see any lights even from the stars. It will go pitch dark. And then out of that, a blinding light brighter than the sun that will be like a flash of lightning, but it doesn't just flash, it remains. And I believe it will be the Shekinah glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will come, stand on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. But did you know that the prophets tell us, I know that, you know, it's the classic thing, oh, Jesus comes, he comes to the Mount of Olives, but that may not be the first place he goes to. There may be a place that he goes to first, and I want to share it with you this morning. Whoops. Uh, oh, wait a minute. What happened? I'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Shoot, I went ahead. Okay, Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3. Let's read it. Who is this coming from Edom, from Bozrah, with clothing stained crimson? It is I who speak victoriously. I, well able to save I have trod the peoples in my anger, so their life blood spurted out on my clothing. Now, what is he saying here? It's the people, it's the Jewish people, it's believers in Jesus who are in Edom and Bozrah. That's where uh, southern Jordan is. And they see this glorious being and his clothing is stained crimson. It's in blood. And they go, who are you? He goes, it is I who speak victoriously, I who am well able to save. Now, in Hebrew, when he says well able to save, the word save in Hebrew is Yeshua. That's in the book of Isaiah, the name Yeshua, which means salvation. And Jesus, so here's what I think really is happening there. He says, I have been fighting for you. The Antichrist tried to kill you. The devil tried to kill you. They've been pursuing you and chasing you. And you've been living out in the, in the mountains and all of this. And I came to fight for you. And I have defended you. This is the blood of your enemies. And I have come to rule and to reign. So Bozrah is in southern Jordan. And it includes the ancient hiding place the Greeks called Petra. Everybody say Petra. That's the hiding place that the Jews will go, the remnant of the Jews, uh, from fleeing from Judah in the day of attack. So what I wanted to show you is there. Okay. Who's that? Indiana Jones. How many of you liked, liked that movie? Do you remember when it first came out? I do. I'll never forget when I went the first time and saw it in 1981. Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant. That's what it was all about, the Ark of the Covenant. The Nazis are trying to get it, and the Allies are trying to get it, 
Why? Because whoever has the Ark of the Covenant, their God, their side will win, and so was all this. And then there was this crazy guy, Indiana Jones, and all his funny little sayings and stuff. I hate snakes. Oh, how I love that movie. But anyway, <laughs> so he goes, and in the movie, there's a picture of this. That is the rock city of Petra in Jordan, one of the eight wonders of the world. It's an ancient people that lived there a long time ago, several thousand years ago, and then they kind of got taken over and they kind of disappeared. So it goes all the way in these mountains and there's a city and there's caves and there's buildings and literally you could put hundreds of thousands, even millions of people in this place where they could live and it's waiting for them right here, right now. So that is Petra, and so that's where Indiana Jones was, and he was kind of going through this whole thing to look at it and to discover it, and, and the hiding place. This is the hiding place made famous by a movie where the Jewish remnant believers, followers of Jesus, will be saved at the very, very end. And then, what, so here's what it is. So he says, like a flash of lightning from the east going to the west. Well, Jordan and Petra is in the east, even east of Israel. And then Jesus goes, you go a little bit further west, and there is Megiddo, which is the valley of Armageddon, where the battle of Armageddon is fought, where Jesus is fighting against the Antichrist and his armies that have come against God. So you go from the east to the Jezreel Valley and Megiddo and the battle of Armageddon, and then you go finally even further to the Mount of Olives. So then... After all this, that's where Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives for the second time. He did this on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. He's coming right back because the first time he came, he came as the Lamb of God. Remember, he sat on a little donkey and he was very humble. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But by the end of that week on Friday, he was rejected. He was crucified. He was nailed to a tree, a crown of thorns put in his head, and he died for our sins, and he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead, and he ascended up into heaven. But he's coming back a second time, because he was rejected then. But he's coming back the second time, and the second time he's not on a donkey. First time he came 2,000 years ago to be the lamb, he showed that side. But now he's coming back as a lion. He's coming back as a king. He's going to be seated upon a horse with 10,000 times 10,000 of the saints, which I believe is you and me, coming from heaven, coming down to the, the Mount of Olives. And then look at this. And Zechariah, we'll close with this, Zechariah 14, verse 4. Let's read it out loud. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Now, I want you to think about this. Not only as dramatic as it's totally pitch dark and then this light, which is the Shekinah glory, brighter than the sun. Jesus comes down with thousands of his saints and all these angels. When his feet finally touch the Mount of Olives, even though it doesn't have a mind, it doesn't have emotions, it doesn't have a soul, but the mountain who was created by the word of the Lord splits in half as if to bow before the creator who spoke it into existence. And 
The whole topography of the earth will change. It says that mountains will bow down and become valleys, and valleys to honor him will rise up to become mountains. It says that when his feet touch the earth, this is the creator of the universe, it says the deserts will begin blossoming miraculously like the rose all over the earth. Then Jeremiah the prophet says the whole world will be shaken like an earthquake over all seven continents and every tree on planet earth will be shaking its branches as if it's welcoming its creator and king back home. That's what's coming. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.